just mentioned about uh, how I'm not Mark. I'm also not Dave. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alec Lancaster. Uh, I've been coming here for about nine years. And it's weird that I can like say that, that I'm old enough to be able to say that I've been coming to a place for nine years, because to me, that's weird, because I'm 21. Like, I don't know. I, I feel old at 21. Like, I already have gray hair. Makes me think it's weird. So uh, if you're looking at this thing up here, or I guess one of those things, the title of today's uh, message is a little weird. It's Unicorns Do Exist, How I Became a Christian Physicist. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit in a bit. Um, but for some of you who some of you know, some of you who know me would know that uh, I've been off in college majoring in theoretical physics and applied mathematics for the last, you know, three-ish years. Um, and a question I get a lot is, like, why? Why would you submit yourself to that form of torture? Because um, to most people, raise your hand if you're scared of math or if you hate math. There's a lot of negative feelings toward math in the world. Um, and I'm not here to fix those. I'm just here to talk about my experience with them. Uh, so that kind of gets to the title. Like, it's a bit of a joke, but the point is that I'm a physicist who's also a Christian, which is a little weird, and it's almost like we don't exist, so I'm kind of like a unicorn, which also don't exist. Oh. Are there any kids in here? Oh, gosh. Well, whatever. Um, so people are often surprised when I tell them that I'm pursuing physics because of God. The reason I am going, the reason I'm doing everything I'm doing is because of God. I'm going through college to become a physicist because of God. And so anyway, I don't know, I, I, a, f- a few months ago, maybe, maybe it was Easter time, I don't remember, I reached out to Dave and I asked if I could share a little bit about my story and how, those, how these two like, mutually, seemingly mutually exclusive things can kind of combine together and, in, a, in a really powerful way. Uh, and he seemed pretty excited having heard a little bit of my story already. Um, but I think the actual conversation went something like, I, I don't remember, I was like, hey, Dave, you know, can I talk about physics on a Sunday morning? And to which he responded, what, do you want to give like a, a lecture? Like, what, <laughs> like, and he was like, I mean, I'd be down for that. But, I mean, and I'd love to you know, spend the next 30, 40 minutes talking about general and special relativity to all of you because that's the thing that I'm you know, most excited about. So with that said, I've come prepared with a about a 35-minute lecture on Einstein's theory of general and special relativity. Um, this day's, I'm just kidding. Uh, like I said, as much as I'd love to sit here and talk about those simple things, you know, relativity, the expansion of the universe, dark energy, supernova cosmology, all that, these are things that actually exist. I'm not just saying words. Um, as much as I'd love to talk about those, that's not really what I'm here for. Um, also, this is kind of embarrassing. Uh, I, I want to be honest, right? So in true college-age physicist fashion, I wrote this sermon yesterday. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've known I was doing it for months, right? And I, it was kind of up there in the ether, if you will. And I had been like writing it in my head, think, thinking through things. And yeah, so I actually put it on a paper yesterday. So we'll see what happens. Um, also, I got my little clicker thingy here. So before we actually really get going, I want to talk, I want to get into some caveats. Um, so yeah, first of all, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, I talked, I've never talked, he, I've never given the message here before, but I have it, um, you know, what was formerly Fuse and now Boulder a couple times. Uh, so there's that. Take, take with that what you will. Uh, second, I'm not always right. I like to joke around and say that I am, uh, but I'm not. Much of, what I, much, of, much of what I'm going to talk about today is experiential. There are things that I have experienced that I want to relate to you. 
so it's not necessarily like the beyond and all of truth. Um, third, I am a Christian, I am a physicist, I am not a pastor. Uh, my goal is not to be 100% theologically, ethically, whatever, correct. As, much, as great as that would be, I didn't go to seminary school, so I would appreciate some measure of grace. Um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about may prod something within you. It might challenge something, a belief that you have. I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like these things, the things that I'm going to talk about challenged my own beliefs as a Christian. So if something I say irks you in a way or makes you feel uncomfortable past your limits, please come talk to me after service. I would love to, you know, expand a little bit more on what I think, uh, and we can talk about that one-on-one. Finally, um, who's been coming to FOF here since, for like, the, I don't know, seven years plus? For those of you who have, you might remember we did a while ago a series on Revelation where we instituted this rule where Dave said, if you ever get super, super confused... Uh, if things just are like a little weird for you, then just make the following motion. Okay, take your hands like this and put them on your head and then just start shaking your head. <laughs> maybe, maybe add a little groan in there if you need to, like, ah, my head. And I'll do my best to go back and explain more slowly a little bit something. Because uh, this stuff is interesting and difficult. With all that said, let's, uh, let's get this show on the road. So around... Nine years ago, after experiencing the Christian church in the most, like, incredible way through FOF and becoming, really, like, meeting my family here, uh, I wanted to do, like, this. I, I, I had told myself that I wanted to work for God in some capacity and that I wanted to be a pastor or, you know, a youth minister or something like that. Um, and there, there were a few people in particular that had made such an impact on me that I literally, like, this is what I wanted to do. And those people were uh, Jason Weber, Benjamin Denon, Benjamin Merwin, and Jeff Kester. Uh, I'm sure you guys know Jason and Ben, but Ben and uh, Jeff, some of you might remember Ben Denon, but I make no exaggerations when I say that these people made an impact on my life and changed the way that I think, changed who I was through their mentorship, uh, and I decided, so because of it, I decided pretty early on that I wanted to be a youth minister. Um, spoiler alert, that's not what happened. That's not why I'm here. Uh, so I spent a good five years of my life as a teenager pursuing that. And, you know, I was 17, or, I, you know, up until I was 17 from, like, when I was 12. So that's, like, what, five 17ths of my life? Like, that's a long, it's like 30%. That's a long time. Um, I was in, it, it kind of changed when I was a junior in high school. So I was in, in pre-calc. Um, I literally never did homework in that class, like ever. My, my teacher told us, nothing in life is worth doing unless it's difficult. If my homework is not difficult for you, don't do it. So I was like, sweet, I'm not going to do your homework. <laughs> uh, and I got an A in the class somehow. But I was setting myself up for kind of bad habits. Um, now, at the same time, I was also in, uh, I was in junior, junior year physics. And... My, I, I did do my homework in that class because I thought it was fun, not because I really felt like I had to, but it was, it was fun. Um, it just kind of clicked. And I came to the end of that, that my junior year, and my pre-calculus teacher told me that I should take AP Calculus 1 and 2 and AP Physics 1 and 2 uh, because they, it was going to be the first year they were offering it. They wanted some measure of students to kind of, you know, as like lab rats, I guess. And, he's, and he thought that I would do well in them. So I was like, oh, okay, sure, why not? Um, and that week, I was, on, <laughs> I was on the worship team here, 
so I was, and I sat, I was in my room like, like that Thursday afternoon, like practicing through the music. When I, when I just had, had this thought, I was like, what am I doing? Why, why am I taking AP calculus and AP physics if I'm going to be a youth minister? Like, why should I submit myself to this form of academic torture if I'm, if I'm just, if I'm going to be a youth minister? And it's not like one thing is easier or harder than the other. It's just, these are two completely different skill sets that I was pursuing. It's like, what the heck? And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be a youth minister. And so again, this is 17-year-old Alec. So cue my, like, midlife, is it a midlife, a quarter life, a fifth? I think it'd be like a, I think it'd be like a fifth, if the average age of an hum, American male is like 79 years old, right? So it'd be like a, it'd be like a fifth life crisis. It was, it was my fifth life crisis. So what I had believed for 30% of my living years, a fifth of my life, essentially, 100% of my adolescent years, was kind of shattered in like one afternoon. Um, and see, because God had revealed part of, his, part of my purpose to me, and things tend to get shattered when God reveals, reveals part of your purpose to you. So I, he was setting me on this path that wasn't necessarily, like I said, easier or harder than the path I'd chosen for myself, but definitely one that required a lot more effort and intentionality. Um, and it's, it, was so, it was so odd to me because God was saying, hey, don't do ministry, go do physics. Don't work for me, work with me. And my mind was just blown. So after that, after I'd gotten over myself a little bit, I came to FOF for, worship, for practice that night, and I told Mark about it, and he, and he just looks at me and is like, that makes sense. <laughs> like, oh, okay, thanks, God. So it was like an instant confirmation, right? And so I had been, and after I had gotten home, I kind of realized that I had been suppressing a lot of gifts that God had given me up until this point. So, I, I mean, I admittedly had like a certain aptitude for math and physics, which would later come back to bite me in the butt, or thinking that would come back to bite me in the butt. So you get to a point where you realize no one's good at math and physics. Everyone's just equally bad at it. And the people that are not as bad are the ones that, whatever, we'll get to it. And I had a, so I also had a deep, deep love for all things what I call space magic. So, you know, some of the weird stuff that I was talking about before. I just, when I was a teenager, or, and when I was from like, I don't know, eight to that time, I would spend just hours and days reading and looking at things on the internet about space. I don't know, how, how lame does that sound? Like, most kids are like, oh yeah, I want to be an astronaut. I was like, yeah, that's too scary. I want to go study astronauts. Anyway, I'm weird. Um, most importantly, though, I didn't realize that I had been suppressing this almost like Jacobian ability to wrestle with the puzzle of how God's creation intersects with his language and how he works in our lives. And that would be revealed to me later on. But after I, so after I'd examined these things, I had to admit as crazy as it was that God was probably right. He usually is. Just like my wife. Uh, that night, I went to rehearsal. Oh, so I went to rehearsal, and you know, Mark was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." I was like, "Okay, well, I guess here, here we go." Um, so I'm going to fast forward a bit through this next section, just because it's a long story and it would take a lot of time, and we don't have that. Um, so I was in senior year of high school, and calculus was hard. Calculus is hard if you've never if you've done it. If you haven't done it. 
bless you. Um, I, I guess I also, I wasn't trying hard enough, really. Physics was still easy, on the other hand, so that was still going for me. Uh, I guess a freshman year of college, and at that point, physics and math were pretty easy for me, so I was like, great, this is going great, I know what I'm doing, this is awesome, thanks, sweet. Other classes were kind of hard, but, like, I, but it was mostly because I wasn't trying hard enough in them, again. Um, and then, uh, you know, sophomore year comes along, and God decided to pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, so I think I've told the story once or twice here before, but I just, I was met with, in my first semester of sophomore year, I was just met with failure after failure after failure. Um, and I mean, it was, it was bad. My GPA was bad. My, like, emotional state was bad. Things were bad. Uh, turns out, you know, physics and math are actually hard. <laughs> so, you know, this is just like Jesus kind of drop-kicking me over a fence, basically. Um, also, I still wasn't trying hard enough. Are you sensing a common theme here? Um, so my life had just kind of come to a screeching halt, and I'm like, okay, life is hard. Differential equations, number theory, and modern physics are hard. Emotions are hard. This is hard. Please help. And then God was just like, hey, you got to help yourself here, buddy. But, and then God, through my now wife, told me, like, you, you, you have it in you to do all of this. You just need to actually try. You need to put effort into this. You've been coming at this the wrong way, man. And so I'm thinking, but, but in, within me, the struggle is, oh, but trying is hard. <laughs> I don't, who wants to try? That's hard. And then finally, I was like, after, you know, failing a differential equations exam, I get back to my room one night, and I was just like sitting, in, I think I was reading through Psalms, and basically God just spoke to me, and he was like, I didn't put you on this path to make it easy for you. I didn't put you on this path because everything was just going to click. See, I realized that I had been working to achieve something at that point, and I, was, and I hadn't been working for God. I wasn't working my academic life for God. And so I kind of realized that and recommitted myself a little bit. And the very next morning, I woke up, uh, and I was listening to, on my way to class, I was listening to a, a podcast by um, one of my former youth ministers, Jeff Kester. He does like a five-minute devotional kind of thing pretty much every day of the, every day of the week, um, every, day of, every day of the work week, and it's just a really good way to start things off. Um, but I was listening to that, and uh, would you know it, the verse that he was going through was Colossians 3.23. And if you're unfamiliar, it says, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters. So I had just recommitted myself to this. And then I wake up the next morning, and here's this. So it's like there, were time, there have been times in my life where I've been struggling with something or made a commitment to do something, and then God was like, hey, nice. And this is kind of one of those affirmative, like, affirmative times. So anyway, I had... It was, I shifted my focus a little bit. Moral of the story, I was trying hard now, and I was, trying, and I was working because of God, not because of like my own need for self-elevation or pride. Um, so after that, second semester of sophomore year, I realized, you know, I realized that that which you are called to do, whatever it is, will always be the most challenging thing for you. It will be the thing that challenges you the most. And boy, have I been challenged by physics. Uh, 
See, I thought that the struggle meant that I had been doing, that what I was doing, what I was, the direction I was going with my life was wrong, but God taught me that the struggle meant that what I was doing was right, the right thing. We talk a lot about, you know, life's direction, how, how we should pray and think through things and make intelligent decisions based on what we think God's plan, God's life in our, God's plan in our life is. And often it's still, it's still hard, so we think we're doing the wrong thing. God showed me that that wasn't the case. So here I am, a sophomore in college, and my, my views on work and how I wanted to commit, like conduct my life kind of radically were changed. So I was like, okay, where do I go from, where do I go from here, right? I poured myself into my studies and started working, you know, for doing them for God instead of for myself. And it worked, by the way. Kind of funny how that happens. I ended up with, like, straight A second semester. Um, though the next period up until now, the things that I learned and the people I met really challenged my faith. It formulated a worldview within me that's kind of a little bit unique to probably the Christian physicist. Um, Pursuing physics gave me a perspective on God that's much, much bigger than, in my experience, a lot of people have. Um, as Christians, we like to put God in a box and think, think that we can tell him what he can and can't do, what he can control, what he can't control. Now, as, as, as a physicist who's Christian, I realize that the universe is just absolutely bonkers, nuts, huge, and that God created that. Like, okay, as an aside, when I say huge... So the earth is kind of large, right? We can agree on that. It's pretty big. So the sun, right down the way in our neighborhood, can fit about one, it's 1.7 billion earths, or million earths in it. Take the earth, and take 1.7 million of them. That's the sun, right? That's also, we can agree that that's also pretty large. There are black holes out there that are 17 billion times larger than the sun. 17 billion. It is nearly impossible to wrap your head around. And God created that. So you can see how exploring cosmology and astrophysics can kind of widen your view on what you think God can do. Yeah. If he created these, this absolutely bonkers, nuts, huge universe that we live in, and a lot of weird crap happens in this universe, by the way, he's got to be pretty darn capable of things. So from here, I'd like to break a little bit from the story and have a bit of fun sharing with you some of the things I've wrestled with. Um, some of these things are a little interesting. I'm going to make a reference here that might call, fall completely flat. Come on. Anyone? I will not explain it. If you get it, you get it. Great. If not, come talk to me later. Um, anyway, so... In school and in church, I've wrestled with a lot of issues regarding science versus faith mentality and things like that. So I'm going to go over some of, the, some of my own personal beliefs on them. I'm going to try to do it from a point of view that, that dissects the Christian point of view and then the physicist point of view and how we can go about intermingling those things. And I, I picked a couple more hot-button issues that I think are interesting. So, so the first one is science versus faith itself. So... Just, uh, just from the bat, off the bat, I just want to say, like, I firmly believe that the argument of science versus faith is completely false. You shouldn't even be having that. Nobody should be having that argument. And from the faith side, this one's really easy, actually. If you believe in God, you believe that God created science, right? You, you believe he created the universe and everything within it and the laws that govern said universe. God created science. 
Therefore, science can never contradict God because it is a creation of God. The thing that when where things get a little murky is that the humans that God created can contradict God through science. We tend to take tools like even the Bible and mess with the way that God wants things to be. From the science base, from a science-based perspective, as much as as much as a lot of scientists will tell you, science can't explain everything. We can't explain things such as what happened before the origin of the universe, what happens after we die. All those are philosophical arguments. Those are not physical arguments. So physics, chemistry, biology, math, none of that can explain what happened before things happened. Therefore, science can neither prove nor disprove the existence of God. It just can't happen. Albert Einstein, at one point, had a professor who told him that God doesn't exist. And he was like, prove it. Einstein was pretty smart, right? The guy that taught him could not disprove God. <laughs> Take with that what you will. And so my conclusion on this one is that it's, not, it's never science versus faith. It's science with faith and faith with science, and however you want to look at that. You can't take science and just take God out of it. You can't take God and just take science out of it. As much as, you know, a lot of church history, a lot of specifically Roman church history has tried to take God or take science out of it, you just can't do it. So the next one, this one actually came up a lot during the question series we had a few weeks ago. Um, and one of the reasons I decided to talk on it was because I think we had like 10 or 15 questions, which is awesome. This is a wonderful topic. Um, it's also a little muddier. <laughs> I haven't made up my mind on it, but I just want to share with you some of the things that I've thought through with it. Um, so the faith-based argument, which Dave gave a lot of, was, was really wonderful. And the last questions you never thought you could ask in series was that both can exist. Um, to believe in God is to believe that he is omniscient and omnipotent, correct? And if he is omniscient and omnipotent, it kind of logically follows that God, to believe in God is to believe in both predestination and free will. Because if he's omniscient and omnipotent, he can do anything and he knows everything, so they can both exist. As much as we want to wrestle with that and be like, well, this is weird, that's kind of, how, that's kind of the nature of things. They're not mutually exclusive. God has given us free will, but he can also predetermine our futures. And also, let's not mix up predestination with foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is like, God is, God is omnipotent. He knows what your future is. But that doesn't always mean he's not going to, you know, let you do your own thing or choose to interact in your life. The final thing on the faith-based argument is that God can change his mind he might have a path set out for you right now that you are going on, that you are struggling with, and you plead with him, and you knock on his door, you knock on his door, and you knock on his door some more. God has been convinced in the, I mean, there's biblical history of this. God has, God has changed his mind before. It's kind of terrifying, by the way, that God can change his mind, but he can, and he does. Now, so, I mean, from a faith-based perspective, I think both can exist. From a science-based perspective, 
and this came up at, at, dinner, at, at a dinner we had a few weeks ago. Um, it's a fun rabbit hole to go down. Just suspend your beliefs for a second. Um, <laughs> so mathematically, it, this whole predestination versus free will can be summed up purely mathematically, actually. Um, mathematically, a life can be uniquely determined by a finite set of elements. As much as we as humans hate to think that way, it can. Uh, so you make, let's say, X number of decisions in your lifetime. There's Y random probability that just things that are out of your control, ha things that are out of your control happen. Like that, there's randomness in life, right? And then, given those two things, there are Z possible outcomes of your life. So you can take this aggregate and describe a life as kind of a decision tree. And with that, think of it as like a choose your own adventure book, except once you move forward, you can't move back, because um, we can't go back in time yet. <laughs> yet. Uh, so you can create kind of a forest of these decision trees that, are, that contain all of the possible outcomes of decisions you've made in your life with random probabilities of random things happening. And then boom, you have this thing that is, it's huge, I'm sure, it's not infinite, like there's a finite set of things that can happen in your life. So you take the aggregate of all these things and boop, a life's pathway is uniquely determined on this tree. So in some sense, there's a, there is mathematical predestination or foreknowledge or however you want to look at that, but you can also change the path that you're on because of your free will. You might be on a certain branch of your tree right now that if you keep doing exactly what you're doing for the rest of your life, you'll, just, you'll end up down here. But if you change something, you'll end up over here. And where these two faith and science things intersect is that God knows every path along that tree. He knows the best possible outcome for you of your life, and he knows the worst possible outcome for you in your life. He knows all, everything in between. He can intervene and nudge you along the way to the right path, or the path that you know, he's chosen for you. And we've all experienced that, right? Like, we've all been along certain paths in life that God has been like, eh, nope and things change. So this one's really interesting. Um, the intersection is very interesting to me because there's kind of this mathematical concept of like a life being summed up some way, and God knows that. To me, that's really cool. But as someone who had a mother who grew up Pentecostal and taught me a lot of things that were along, that, that were along those theological lines, Learning this for the first time was interesting to me because I wrestled with this a lot. I was like, wait, you mean that like a life can be summed up by a finite set of elements? Like, no way, we're humans, we're more unique than that. Spoiler alert, in my opinion, we're not. But anyway, I haven't actually made up my mind on this one whether it is predestination versus free will. Like I said, I think, there, I think there's evidence and room for both. So, the next one is my favorite one, personally. And this is older versus newer, newer theory. Uh, Dave, got, Dave get, did get a couple questions on this, I remember. Uh, and this one, I actually feel like I'm a little bit uniquely determined to answer from my perspective. Um, now, when I say the age of the universe, don't think that, as a Christian, I think that God couldn't have existed before then. I think that God did exist before then. I wholeheartedly believe that God created the universe, and I believe that Genesis 1 and 2 are accurate accounts of that. Absolutely. So from the faith-based perspective, um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with Younger theory that 
there are some faith circles that believe that the age of the earth is somewhere around 10,000 years old or less. Um, and to those who are unfamiliar with it, it's given accounts, it's within like Genesis 1 and 2, and the somewhat chronological orderings of the Bible you can kind of derive around an age of 10,000 years of the earth. Then again, so there's, I, I think there's evidence for both, actually, within, within the Bible and within, you know, within Christian thinking, because there's evidence for the 10,000-year theory, and then there's also the fact that, in my opinion, the Bible is the inspired word of God. I mean, I think we can take that as truth. In my opinion, that doesn't exactly mean that every single thing the Bible says is to be taken 100% literally with 100% accuracy and in chronological order. God gave us spirits of discernment and wisdom, and he gave us science, right? So I'm not saying the 10,000 Earth theory is wrong. I personally don't believe in it, but I think there's evidence for both within Christian faith. Now, from the science side, this gets into one of my favorite academic areas of all time, which is cosmology and astrophysics. That's actually what I want to pursue a PhD in. So if you'll just let me nerd out for a moment. The current theory is that the universe is about 13.8 billion years old and that the Earth is about, oh, 5 billion years old. So in chronological order, there was an explosion. Actually, people call it the Big Bang. I prefer to call it the everywhere stretch because it wasn't really an explosion. It was more of a... I mean, there was nothing, and then there was something, and it expanded into nothing. So everywhere was kind of expanding and stretching, and things were weird. And also, the early universe was very, 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 very hot. So you have all of these, for, the, for about the first billion years of the universe, thermodynamics took over and kind of just governed all the motion and things like that that happened there. Then finally, once things cooled down a little bit for the next, oh, 10 billion years or so, gravity kind of decides to take over. And what we decide, what we call matter, attracted other matter. And then boom, stars happened. So eventually, matter gets compounded enough to where a star explodes. And what ends up happening is these things, these stars can form, they explode, they form, they explode, they create new elements, whatever. Gravity brings things closer together. We have galaxies, solar systems, all that stuff. Things got made, the Earth got made. And we can use, actually, the light from these events that happen in the universe to track the age of the universe through things like redshift and the cosmic microwave background. And basically, if, you, if we see light from something way out there and it hits us, that light has traveled a certain distance and things happen to that light that we, to which we can use to track how far it's traveled. Have you ever heard of the concept of a light year? So a light year is a measure of the distance that light travels in a year, hence light year light can kind of measure distance, which is kind of sweet. So, also from the science perspective, we've been wrong about this stuff before. Um, I'm sure many of you have experienced, oh, hey, the age of the universe is this, and now it's this, and now it's this. So the, when I say current estimate is about 13.8 billion years, I mean truly current estimate. We're, as, physics, as physicists, people are developing more and more accurate methodologies of measuring this kind of stuff. And we could be wrong, oh well, <laughs> we, make, we make our models better and we, and we pursue things. And like, kind of going back to the science versus faith argument, you have to have some faith when you're doing science, right? There are theories, there's science fact and then there's science theory and then it devolves from there. But to have, to pursue 
the rigor of actually proving a theory, you have to believe in it. You have to take it out on faith, almost. Sure, there's evidence for it. There's also, you know, anecdotal evidence in our lives for things like God existing, right? So there's anecdotal evidence for things in science that we put faith in and we pursue. And that was, all that was probably way more detail than you ever wanted. I just had, I, I had to get a little bit of physics in. Um, but these are some of the things that I've wrestled with. You can imagine someone as being told often that you do physics, how could you believe in God? It's difficult. You open yourself up to all these points of attack in a lot of ways. Um, and as much as I would love to sit here and just kind of talk about this kind of stuff, if, there, if you want more ways for your mind to be blown, we can talk after service. That's totally fine. Um, but it's all, it's all really intellectually stimulating and challenging. And to be honest, before a couple of weeks ago, that's what I was mostly planning on doing this about. But as I was kind of preparing it, I was listening to a lot of uh, Christian folk music. Um, and one song in particular really struck me. It's folk, and, it's, and it focuses on doubt. It's literally called The Doubtful One. Um, it really resonated with me. So I realized that God was dropping this song in my lap because I was going to be doing this message soon. Um, so ultimately, everything I've said up to this point is, is great. It's like, sure, I shared a little bit of my story with you, how God impacted my life, and some of the, some of the challenges that I've had as a Christian physicist. But it lacks, what I've said at least, lacks a certain amount of real honesty, you know? I mean, it's not like I was lying to you. I promise I wasn't. But we could sit here and talk about this stuff all day, and what would it accomplish? So I've shared some of that, and those are important. But what I haven't shared with you is what came, really came to a head me when I was listening to this song. Um, I'm a very doubtful person. I struggle with self-doubt. Actually, I struggle with self-doubt so much that uh, at... A couple, like last week I was having, I was having uh, dinner with my mom and we were, she was asking you know, about the research that I'm doing over the summer and, kind of, and I was explaining some physics stuff to her. And she was like, well, how do we know that the speed of light is the universal constant of, is like the universal speed limit? And I'm like, well, mom, let me explain. So I did. And she was like, yeah, but how do we, like, how do we know that? And I'm like, honestly, mom, I'm more certain in that than I am in my own salvation most of the time. And I just said it very quickly. And I, it barely, I barely processed it before I said it. I am more certain in the speed of light being the speed limit of the universe than I am in my own salvation most of the time. Yikes. I said it without thinking. And after I said that, I realized that the quintessence of my like, Christian physicist's life is that I seek truth. I seek to overcome doubt. I doubt myself. I doubt my own salvation. Not because of Jesus. Not because I don't believe that Jesus is enough. I absolutely 100% believe that Jesus is enough. I believe that I'm not enough. So a darker part of the purpose or the reason why I pursue physics is because I want something that I can be certain of. I can say with relative confidence that the, absolute, that the speed of light is the absolute 
speed limit of the universe. I can say with relative confidence that special relativity defines the space-time geometry which gets curved by mass, creating gravity. I can say that right now an uncountable amount of neutrinos are streaming through this room and probably will, none of them will interact with us in any, in any way. The chance of that actually happening is very infinitesimal. I could go on. <laughs> on the other hand, I don't think I'll ever be certain of myself. I don't think I'll ever stop doubting God. I, I, I don't think I'll ever stop fearing that my intellect, my perseverance, my computing prowess, whatever it is, will one day run out and that I won't be enough. I will never stop doubting. But don't we all? For me, pursuing physics is partially a God-given command. Not only that, it's an escape from my self-doubt and general uncertainty in things. It allows me to kind of delve into that which I believe wholeheartedly to be true, even if that turns out to be wrong. See, there's certainty in being wrong. Science is wrong all the time. But once you're wrong, you know you're wrong. But doubt, in doubt, you don't really know whether you're right or you're wrong. So a lot of the reason I decided to pursue physics was to escape my own doubt. Now, make no mistake, doubt is good. It does not feel good. But it helps us to motivate ourselves to find truth. And it's funny that this thing that we call doubt can lead us to truth. That we doubt, and it leads us to eventually, ideally, to certainty. So in pursuing physics, I try to run away from my doubt. From a life ruled, or into a life ruled by certainty in the laws of the universe. And in doing that, I realized you still can't escape doubt. I haven't. I, before the, before the summer, I doubted that I was going to get an internship. I doubted that God was going to help me get into graduate school. Still working on that one, by the way. Um, but before then, I doubted I would even get into college. I think we all struggle with doubt. But that's okay. Because through pursuing physics and through pursuing what God has called me to do, I have found out that truth is found through doubt. Doubt is the through line to truth. And I think I can speak for FOF in saying, in saying this. We, as part of our mission statement, have a, a desire to be real. Um, and that comes laden with all the doubts that we have. You can't be real without bearing your doubts on your shoulder. So by sharing my own with you, I, kinda, I, I hope that I did my part in taking you know, that I, I did my part in making that desire to be real a reality. Um, as much as I would have loved for this to be a physics lesson. We can talk. I will give you a physics lesson. Doubt is what we live in. And overcoming that is murky. Murkier than science and physics, that's for sure. Uh, so Neil, Mike, and myself are going to go and, and play the song that I listened, that, that I heard, that brought me to all this realization for you guys. Um, don't feel pressured to stand up. Don't feel pressured to sing. 
Make No Mistake is not a worship song. I believe that there is truth in it. But my hope is that through the music or the words on the screen or that somehow you will be basked in the same truth that I was when I listened to it. Uh, so give me a couple seconds. Brother Thomas, did he walk away from Jesus, wondering if it was all a dream? Did all your doubts creep back and tell you that your fingers hadn't ever touched a single thing? Cause I have read that story so many times when you healed that man. He could see perfectly again But in between the reeds that always saw were men as trees And that's all that seems to cloud my vision Cause all my friends I have have never, ever, ever met you Does that mean that they deserve to die? But I heard once that you came here is love for all of us Not to pull the wood from out of our eye My mother, she was always working in the yard Growing life from your son and from her dirt And I would read those words But nothing ever seemed to grow Except my lonely brother's hurt Oh, holy preacher, did you ever think That maybe there is more to life than dying in a pew? Isn't this whole world just hell enough for all of us? Do you have to murder them for all the things they do? Cause all my friends and I, yeah, we have never heard you speak And I know that when you speak it brings up life So would you pretty please come speak to all of them and me? Growing us collectively into your wife
to the mountain Write it out on a stone tablet What it is that you decide's the truth I think I want my hands to bleed From loving, not from condemning Yeah, isn't love what he would have us do? Cause all my friends and I, how we have stolen, we have lied and we have looked upon each other full of lust. But you carried your cross when it seemed like I was lost. So I hope that you can carry all of us. Yeah, you carried your cross. Knew that I was lost, so I hope that you can carry all of us. So I believe that part of doubt and part of moving through it is confessing it. Um, so we're going to enter in time of confession here today. If you guys don't mind uh, standing up and joining with me, the band's going to come up. Um, so yeah, we can cue that. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. God, thank you for this time here. I thank you that you provide a family for us to wrestle with these things and to check and balance each other and to hold each other accountable. And I pray that we would never stop doubting as terrible as it feels in the moment because it's a tool that you use as much as we don't like it. It's in your name.